Hello there, everybody, and welcome to another Riabu podcast in which we talk about the importance of getting paid on time. And boy, has there ever been a need to have that discussion, because now wherever we look in the world, apparently we see disruption in Europe, in China, wherever you look. And the data shows, and if you don't believe me, write to me and I'll send it to you. The data shows that more SMEs, small and medium-sized enterprises, are going to go bust this year due to cash flow issues than at any time in the last decade. Perhaps then it would be a good idea to start looking at cash flow. And in fact, Mark Lowdy and I have written this book, Let the Cash Flow, to help you understand what you can do to ensure that your customers pay you on time. A huge issue. DSOs, the average time taken to get paid on time, are increasing year by year for small and medium-sized enterprises. You can correct that in your enterprise by following the eight points that we lay out in Let the Cash Flow. And I'm delighted to be here today with two very interesting guests who've taken time out of their day to talk about the challenges of getting paid on time. First of all, Yvonne Rankin-Constantine, who might be known to many of you. Yvonne has worked around the world in senior roles with many, many companies and has some very interesting things to tell us about the different challenges of getting paid on time in different industries and about what you can do about it. And Peter Hone who is a senior executive with ABL, a marine oil and gas and renewables company. And Peter, I know because he and I work together from time to time. And in fact, if you turn to the right place in this book, there's an entire interview with Peter where he talks about how using the virtuous revenue cycle helped him turn around the receivable situation in the company that he was working for. So Peter, a warm welcome to you as well. Morning, Simon. How are you? I'm good. Let's start with you, Yvonne, if I may. Let's just take a step back. When did you first come across the problem of getting paid on time? Oh, that was a long time ago, Simon. <laughs> you don't have to give us the date. <laughs> I think the first role I took, which was in Africa, um, through a big working for a big multinational at the time, it was a different environment, but the, the basic problems that I see today were there then. And, you know, when I look at your, your virtuous, your cycle here, which is fantastic in the book, it says it all, yeah top-down ownership, and that's what was missing. Right? That was the root cause of why there was a problem with the receivables. Good. So we'll come back to the question of top-down ownership in a minute, because yeah. I, I love that discussion. And in fact, this afternoon, we'll be making a little piece of theatre around that very thing, using actors and singers to illustrate the challenges of ensuring that you have a single culture where everyone basically sings from the same hymn sheet. Peter, top-down ownership. Yeah, well, I, I've just changed companies actually and the last company I was on I'm not and you're now working for ABL Marine yes, Oil yes. and Gas Renewables Company very uh, proactive in, in the, the role of getting the cash moving huh? and to, to speak to the CEO last week to improve the DSO in a very technically driven company mm -hmm. the majority of people are technical people they, they carry out the work and they think the work's done and it's about creating awareness yes we can have policies and procedures but you've got to create an awareness to these technical people that their job expands a little bit more than just doing the technical role and talking about getting paid on time very early in the... In the so time. whoever owns the customer relationship yeah. has to be ready to have that conversation. Let, let's come back to that because okay. I think that's really good. Let's start with the top-down ownership. So you realised that that was an issue in the first company that you worked for in Africa and I'm guessing in other companies that you subsidized. How did that manifest itself? It's back to the end-to-end -end process, right? And so it's exactly as you said... It doesn't matter, for me, it doesn't matter which industry you go into. Mm. The ops people see themselves as ops, <laughs> right? And it's, it's finance's role to, to do accounts receivable, yeah? So it's, it's a finance problem, <laughs> right? 
and therefore if you don't have the front end clarity and roles and responsibilities skin in the game for everybody so the sales job isn't over when you've made the sale yeah. right the sales job there has to be skin in the game so they also need mm. to know the money has to come it's not always easy to have that discussion is it Yvonne no it's not and what I found is you hear many reasons for why it's difficult to have that discussion but the bottom line is once somebody realises, well, this is a skin in the game for you. If mm. we don't get the money through the, the door, you won't have a job. How yeah. does that work? Right? Yeah. Then you, you start to get the, the light bulb comes on. Yeah. Yeah. So, so top-down ownership means that right from the top, everybody has to recognise that not only are you offering goods and services to your customers and you want to surprise and delight them, there's also an agreement in place, or there should be, that they pay you within a certain period and everybody should support that agreement, right from the CEO down to the salesman, down to the technical mm. people. Absolutely, but I think you've got to differentiate two things here. One is the external stakeholders, which yeah. basically you put the agreement in place, as you said, Simon, but I think the biggest challenge is your internal stakeholders. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it, it has to come from the top. There has to be clarity yeah. on what are the policies. There has to be training put in place. Yeah for all the staff involved in that process end to end. Yeah. And there has to be a culture of accountability. So yeah. there has to be consequences of behavior. Good. And how do you do it? You need to have basically KPIs in place or some sort of measurement matrix. Yeah. So yes, it's really important that the whole organization supports it. And the things that Yvonne's talking about, she's getting way ahead of, of, of herself because we've got eight <laughs> different things that we want to talk about. I think we've already talked about four of them. So starting at the top, we have the senior executive who owns the company, who's leading the company, own the question of getting paid on time, and then we have a culture where everyone in the company plays their part in ensuring that that happens. So if we take a hypothetical scenario, which we're going to be playing with this afternoon when we record our piece of theatre, if it's a new account and you go to the customer and you're a salesman, do you just say thank you for the business, we very much look forward to, 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 to more business, and the customer says, what about getting paid on time? And you say, well, you know what? I'm not that bothered one way or the other. Just keep giving us orders. Mm. Oh, you've come across that, haven't you? Yeah, you know, just go and play golf and uh, <laughs> we'll talk about the bill later. Just give me the contract. <coughs> and, right. you know, I've met my sales KPIs. I get my bonus and I'm not really cared if you get paid, right? It's not very healthy. But I, I think there's actually a book, another book to be written on the pernicious role of golf uh, <laughs> in preventing companies from getting paid on time. Because the other, one of the other case studies in the book, there are three, and we're going to add a fourth next year, mm. Bill Padfield actually does talk about deals made on the golf course mm. and at the, of course, the 19th hole, where nobody can precisely remember what was agreed, <laughs> but, but everyone, agrees, terms were everyone agrees that it was a great deal. Yeah. But when it actually comes to saying, yeah. oh, well, but we didn't we agree terms, everyone kind of looks a bit confused. Ah. Yeah. And it's, the, it's the, some of the practicalities in, in, the, in the energy sector, companies are divided into smaller companies. So you know, a rig company has got 20 rigs. Each rig is its own company. Yeah. So you've got a separate payables department for every, for every asset. And unless you un fundamentally understand your client, your, your policy is, is not going to work. So in order to... understanding and owning the whole, the whole procedure. My experience there, Peter, has been you can have global policies, right? Then you can get into regional policies and then you get into local policies, yeah. right? And what you're trying to do there is get standardisation to get efficiencies, mm. right? Right across the process end to end. But the reality is, as you said, it doesn't always work in every single market. Yeah. And that's okay mm. as long as you say 
this is an exception to the rule for these reasons, right? But it's still, you've still got to have the governance process in yeah, place. Yeah. So Joe can't just go out and say, do you know what, pay us any time you like, <laughs> right? Joe understands, no, yeah. I can go back and ask, you know, what's my mandate? What can I negotiate within, right? Mm -hmm. And then you've got clarity for the, both for the customer and for yourself. Yeah. So you can then manage your cash flow. But how can you forecast your cash flow position yeah. if you cannot guarantee when you're getting your money in and when you're paying the money out? Yeah, we mentioned DSO last week, and like I said, it's a very technically driven company, highly sought after, that the people, the clients, top, top clients calling all the time. But you talk to the technical people about DSO, they just look, they, they don't really understand, and they're not meant to understand. Initially, it's about creating that awareness and, and teaching them that we can start the ball early in the process, talking to the client that, if we get paid in time, it, it then helps us to improve our quality, invest in the cash into the business, growing the business to where it needs to be, right? So there are some practical issues in yeah. terms of mm. having a team that speaks with one voice. Because let's be honest, a lot of people, and I think you've both kind of alluded to this, a lot of people in your enterprise probably don't understand a balance sheet. Yeah. And they don't understand the, the, the actual <laughs> impact of working capital on the profitability of a company. I have a client at the moment where the salesmen are all measured on revenue but the CEO is measured on EBITDA, which obviously includes notions of working capital and borrowing and interest and all those sorts of things. So one of the things we talk about in the book is the need to give practical foundational education to people who are non-financially literate, uh, particularly commercial people, on why it actually matters. Because if you don't, when you ask them to get more involved, they're just going to see it as a scheme to make their lives miserable, uh, created by the, the finance director probably. Yeah, more data collection. They see it as more recording and reporting uh you know, in many companies I've worked for, the, the technical people just believe that it's somebody else's role yeah. to, to collect this money. Worked on doing in many different industries, we do what they call lunch and learn, right? Mm. So basically, finance for non-finance people. Yeah. Right? We get the guys, the technical guys to come along, bring their packed lunch, whatever. Right? And it's, again, for me, it's always about what's in it for you, right? And it's how do you explain it in a way that they see what they're going to yeah. get from it? And it's exactly as you said here, you know, when you're looking at it, engage a motivated sales team. Your sales team are not going to be motivated if they're continually getting harassed internally within the organization yeah. because we can't get the money through the door. So one of the things we try and demonstrate in the book, and which I've been happy enough to, to, to help large companies do, is if you equip the salesman with the right tools, yeah. His ability to talk fluently about what's going on on the account, i.e. not just the product and the price, but also whether the account is in order, will actually gradually increase his credibility with the yeah. account. So he can go there and he can deal with these issues. Because one of the things that I think is sometimes forgotten is that if you have a pile of unpaid invoices, very often there are reasons that they're not paid. And very often those reasons cause frustration mm -hmm. in your mm -hmm. customer because it might be errors that haven't been rectified. Yeah. It might be that you haven't properly understood yeah. what their invoicing requirements are. So dealing with that, fronting that, mm. being able to come back and say, I've looked into that and we've now ensured that that's not going to happen again. This actually, far from detracting from the perception of a salesman, I believe, adds to their credibility as, as, mm -hmm. as being a businessman rather than just somebody that's trying to sell things, right? Yeah, we were discussing last week teaching salespeople to, to look at the account first and see, you know, is their accounts receivable outstanding to, to a large degree? Why go back into that client and, and, and tout for more business and get more contracts mm -hmm. when, when we haven't received, you know, the previous payments for, for, for long term? 
it's, like, it's an education process, like Yvonne was saying. Yeah. It's, it's an education, down. but it's what you started off with at the very beginning. We're in a climate at the moment where you need to understand the guys that were, you know, solid clients a few years ago, their liquidity position might not be quite so yeah. solid today. Mm -hmm. So don't assume it is as it was, right? And you have to do yeah. due diligence on a, you know, basically on a regular basis if you're going to increase that credit period. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that following the virtuous revenue cycle does is it significantly increases customer intimacy in the sense that you know a lot more about what's going on in the customer if you do it right. You know what his issues are and you're able to address them. And that should improve your ability to retain the customer versus one of your competitors who just cares cares about getting the order, right? Yeah. Well, in, in oil and gas now, the, the prices are increasing. And, and there's a, there's talk of, you know, raising, per se, across the board, a percentage of increase in your day rates and your chargeable rates. But it, it doesn't matter if you're not going to get paid. Mm -hmm. You can increase mm -hmm. as much as you like. But if you're not going to get paid, it, it's about... Yes, it's all about. It's, my first cash. boss said exactly that to me. Uh, but it, but you're quite right. It's very often ignored. We go out, we get the sale, we celebrate the sale, <laughs> and then a year later we haven't actually got any money for it. But I think that's where your external stakeholder engagement has to be really strong. And yeah. you know, I've had situations where, and it was with governments, and I won't mention which country because it doesn't really matter. But and we it guess? was. It, I, and <laughs> Does it begin with A? It, it doesn't really matter, right? <laughs> and the the reality is, you know, I've sat there all day because. I knew they didn't have the cash flow to be able to pay all of, and it was in the oil and gas sector, all of us, right? So I just made sure, what's my differentiator, right? And I would take a packet of Scottish shortbread with me to have a cup of tea. Right, so, so, right. so they paid you, but they died of diabetes. Well, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I agree. I like yeah. But it is, it's, what's your differentiator? Yeah. What, what can you do to help that customer? And it's, it's not to criticise them is to say if they're having yeah. if they're not paying you for legitimate yeah. reasons, how can you help them resolve it yeah. so that you are their 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 payment of first choice? Yeah, one of the processes we're putting yeah. in place now is is uh, upfront payments of a percentage because mm -hmm. that gives you an indicator have they got cash? Yeah. You mm -hmm. know, if, if you've got a bill for one hundred and fifty thousand dollars and you ask for you know twenty thousand dollars upfront, they say no. You know, there's a red flag that mm -hmm. maybe they don't have the cash. And do you really want to work for these people if they, if they don't have small amounts of cash? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a key marker right now. Mm -hmm. So getting the terms right in the first place yeah. is really important. Um, having those discussions are really important. And, and it, it's yeah. interesting, Yvonne, I love the way you talk about this because you know what we talk about at Riabu, and Riabu is a company that we set up to basically put forth the principles of let the cash flow to help SMEs come to the Riabu website and get a set of tools that enable them to mm -hmm. build an environment where they can get paid on time, is we talk about precisely that. We talk about being first in line to get paid. Mm -hmm. So in our very simple world, there are two kinds of customers. There's an illiquid customer who's going bust and can't pay anyone, in which case you don't want to sell them anything. But the, most, the majority of customers who are liquid are paying somebody, which I think is what you said. Mm -hmm. So what can I do to ensure that I am the somebody yeah. that gets paid? Yeah. So, you know, you think of your customers having a pile of invoices. When they Why look at yours, top? it's in the bin. <laughs> uh, you yeah. know, they pay the gas, they pay the electricity, they pay the salaries. Who do they pay after that, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's this, it's that you could look at it as being the sum of all the behaviors yeah. on your part that ensures that you get to the top of the pile, and it's all about intimacy and service. Yeah. Yeah. It's about understanding, right? Understanding your client to that finite degree that you know you're going to get paid because they need you, right? But do you think, I mean, 
this is self-evident to me, but then I've been at this for quite a long time. Do you think that there are a lot of companies that don't see receivables in that way, that see receivables as kind of an adversarial discussion? Either I get the business or I get paid, but if I, have, if I talk too much about receivables, I'm going to upset the customer. Don't you think that's still a fairly widespread perception? I absolutely do, but I also think it's because a lot of organisations, if they don't have visibility, right, so you don't have KPIs and your leadership team have not given this focus, then guess what? It's a back office job. It's yeah. something finance do. Mm. And it's only when you get into crisis that suddenly yeah. the leadership waking up and go, oh, oh we've got a problem. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes that could be at the end of the year when you bring an audit, when the auditors <laughs> come in and then, the, you know, the fireworks go off. So the visibility has to be at leadership level yeah. so that the leaders are informed and can then take, yeah. you know, decisions to correct. All the leaders who talked to us and are featured in the book said that they always routinely make accounts receivable part of their monthly leadership meeting mm -hmm. and they don't let people off the hook. You know, they talk about it and they talk about CEOs of very large listed companies who mm -hmm. get into that mm -hmm. level of detail. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Also in this day and age there's so many tools out there. Yeah. You, it's, it's real time. You can show your, you know, your, your staff internally and depending on where you want to put it in your website, they can go in and you can actually, I've, I've done name and shame, right? Where basically these are the people that, that should be making sure the money's coming through the door and it's up there. So it's almost like a little competition on each of them to see who's going to basically yeah. get the best score that month. So, so, befo so before yeah. you go out there and start decapitating <laughs> members of staff for not collecting the, yeah. the money, you might want to bear in mind, based on our data assembled over many yeah. years, we think about 80% of the time that you don't get paid on time, it's because of something you omitted to do yeah. or should have done differently or did wrongly. Okay, so it's yeah. very important internal. to get yeah. to the bottom of that because that's an internal issue. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things you do not want to do is to turn up the gas on your sales team. Have them go along yeah. and say, why well, are you paying our invoices? Only to come back with a whole pile of unresolved issues. And I've been in that kind of situation. And not only does that cause massive embarrassment, mm -hmm. it also derails the whole notion of improving receivables because everyone says, you see, this is what happens. So understand that you need to look inward and figure out what the major issues are. Yeah. I, think that, I think that's tremendously yeah. important. And yeah. then you need to be responsive to those issues. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things we spoke about in the previous podcast and in the book is about trust. Yeah, yeah. And for me, trust is king. I've been studying culture for a long time, and it's crucial. Tell us about your PhD. No, I don't need to. Peter, Peter, come on, <laughs> come on, Peter. But you're about okay. to be Doctor Hone, right? <laughs> no, it's fine, it's not finished yet. Oh, it's, it's still ongoing. But what's it's the title? Ongoing. What's the title? Come on. Yes, I'm doing an autoethnography. Autoethnography. Yeah, on the transition from education through to employment and management. Did they and issue then, you with the glasses, or did you buy those when you started the PhD? No, they're just to make me look academic. <laughs> well, I have to say, I'm really impressed. <laughs> <laughs> so, don't miss Peter's thesis, autoethnography. It will come out soon enough. Thank you, Dr. Hunt. Do, do proceed. It's more to do with the transition and, 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 again, trust and building relationships, and they're crucial. And if, as a salesperson, you know, I'm, I'm a salesperson and, and not bad at it, I, they need to trust me first to buy the, the service and, and then to pay me. But if, if I go at the, at the far end to the right of the cycle, and, and ask them, why is my money late? I'm going to damage the trust. I need to catch them at the very front end. Yeah, it's and, timing. And, mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and build that trust and, and, and assure, understand that 
if you pay me on time, I can keep delivering quality. Yeah. Once I get to the so, right-hand side and I start saying, where's my bill, John? I'm very angry. Mm. The trust gets chipped so, away. So let's talk about credit policy because, okay. you know, one of the things that, that I think is absolutely critical, because you hit upon a very important point, which is that in many, many enterprises, we're so excited to get our product, to get a customer. We, no, really, we are. We are. I mean, I've, I've done, are. what, four or five startups in Singapore. It's, we got a customer, yes, you know. <laughs> and the last thing you feel that you want to do is to sit down and say, by the way, we need to be paid on Wednesday. Yeah. Only I've learned, <laughs> I've learned the hard way that you need yeah. to do that. So yeah. the second item in the virtuous revenue cycle is clear credit policy. And clear credit policy isn't just a discussion internally with your finance director. It's when you initiate that new relationship, you sit down with yeah. your account and you say, here are seven or eight things that are really important. And if you have any questions about this, there's a, a simple one-page credit policy in the book that you can use if you're an SME. Mm. There's a much more detailed one at the back in the index if you if you fancy something that's been looked over by lawyers and runs to 25 pages, which is pretty common actually. But in the simple one, you're not talking about you must pay us, you're talking about our commitment to service. It's all about service. We really want mm. to serve you. We're gonna get you the product on time. We're going to ensure that you get responsive service. Yeah. But in there also is something about mutual trust and respect. And yeah. we have terms, yeah. you have terms. And are you okay with that? And let's agree it. Yeah. And don't miss the opportunity to talk about how you'll deal with issues when they arise. Because this is tremendously important as well. Because issues always do arise. People talk about moments of truth. You know, it's actually a term that's sort of fallen into disuse slightly, but a moment of truth. You know, you can have a smooth relationship and that's fine, but when something goes wrong, there's an opportunity for a moment of truth. You can either end up bruised and hated, or you can end up building a new kind of intimacy by showing that you actually are listening yes. and by responding. And since things always will go wrong, that culture of listening and dealing with the issue is immensely valuable from a competitive perspective. But I don't think that every company sees hearing bad news as an opportunity to improve. I think some companies see hearing mm. bad news mm. as something you should actually keep quiet. No. Um, what do people think about when that? Cult cultural, trust, cultural of openness. You know, I'm sitting in the meeting, yeah. I've got my sales team, everything all right, all the customers, are we? all the customers are happy. Are all the customers happy? Probably not. No, no you need to be honest at every level. And this, it links to the top-down ownership where the, where the board and the CEO and, and uh, the directors are talking to all the staff that it's okay to bring this bad news and, and we can learn yeah. we generally only learn from bad news yeah. anyway when it's good news we tend to take it for granted too much but you must have worked in cultures where due to the issues of loss of face or whatever there's a tendency to suppress bad news yes we yes. should say nothing uh. <laughs> yeah because no, it's, it's, it's a pride it's a male uh. pride thing in the oil and gas business uh. so are women better at it anymore? yes I, I think it's a, just a different approach perhaps mm. yeah but it's in organisations where the top leadership are not showing respect and not building trust, yeah. it permeates right down your, your culture yeah. will be one of fear. Okay. And if it's one of fear, they will not come with bad news. Yeah. I've worked in so many, I mean, I'm a management yeah. consultant by avocation yeah. and I have been for 40 years and I've worked in so many organisations where people just kept quiet, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, mm -hmm. and, and there's lots of problems with that. I mean, the first is, of course, that you never learn. You never learn. No, There's no. so much learning. It's very, very dysfunctional not, not to be able to communicate uh, at every level about every subject. And, and, it, and it breeds insecurity and, and, and fear and people and, start to cut corners, right? Well, certainly in the oil and gas sector, <laughs> um, that's why you know, health and safety became such a yes. big issue. Yeah. yeah, But also, it affects your bottom line because yeah. you have a massive attrition of staff. 
people will not stay in those no. cultures for long. No. And what you're going to see is a massive you know, changeover. And then it costs you so much money to retrain people to get them back yeah. into play. So, again, it's going to hit your bottom That's line. That's a great point, Yvonne, because you know? most people would argue that right now, it's the time of the employee. Employees are getting yes. much more picky about what they will and will not do and what they will and will not put up with. It's probably a good time then to start taking these things a bit more seriously. I think it's, for me, it's, it's back to the same old thing. It's all about respect, right, yeah. for people. And if you're bringing people in, it's fine to have a clear credit policy, right? But if you don't train your people and you don't help them understand why, and that's yeah. the respect part. Yeah. Don't just do it because I tell you to do yeah. it. This is, yeah. this is why it's, it's worth you doing it. Uh, it's why, and, and, and investing in understanding, yeah. because I've worked in a lot of organisations where they say, oh, we've got a crisis, go and collect the money, and nobody really understands the financial foundation behind the concept of balance sheet. Mm -hmm. It's tremendously important to invest mm -hmm. in that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because people are smart, they'll get it. You know? yeah. mm -hmm. Could you imagine going to Singapore Airlines and saying, I want a first class ticket, your best seat on your best plane to New York um, <laughs> next week, but I'm, I'll pay you in about three months or four months. Is that okay? It's, it's never going to happen. They ask for the money out front, they get their money. They're, they're a very, very cash rich business when they're, when they're operating at full strength. Uh, so why can't we do that on a guess? Why can't we take this trust and, and get this cash moving? Well, we know that we can because you've demonstrated it, Peter. Well, you, I did, you've, yeah. you've worked in businesses that had a, a long DSO. Uh, and we've reduced and, it, yeah. and you, with a little bit of help from me, have worked on yeah. improving the understanding mm. of how having proper discipline around terms is part of a culture of service. Yeah. It's not, it's mm, not yeah. part of an adversarial culture <laughs> where you're persecuting yeah. the customer. But as you clearly point out in the book, don't get to crisis before you start having the yeah. conversation. And my experience has been because there hasn't been a joined up team effort with sales and with finance, right? What if it's in crisis before finance kick in. And then when finance kick in, the sales guys feel demotivated and devalued and they feel attacked. Yeah. And they're saying, but you're now putting my client relationship at risk. Yeah. Well, if you'd done it at the very front end, as yeah. you said, mm -hmm. you could go back and have a different type of conversation, yeah. right? And say, well, don't wait to get to crisis. If you're saying, have a clear policy. Is it 30 days? Is it 60 days? Sorry. Once you're getting to 365, you really have a bit of an issue here, guys, right? And then if you don't have a bad debt policy in place, well, you're having an even better I, I, challenge. I mean, I've had clients. I mean, yeah. I've, been, I've been doing this in Asia for 30 years. And when I came here, it was to start a company which specialized in working capital improvement, um, wow. which was subsequently sold. You jokingly refer to a year of receivables. Well, my first client in Korea had more than a year of receivables. Our second client in um, China had more than a year of inventory, washing machines in a warehouse in, in Shanghai. Uh, because some <laughs> consultant, whose name I won't mention, begins with M, uh, had, had done some demographics and worked out that if one in three Chinese housewives bought a washing machine, that would be an awful lot of washing machines. So an enormous factory was built to manufacture washing machines. Unfortunately, there were no distribution channels, there were no retail channels, there was no way to actually sell the washing machines, because this is in the early 1990s. So hence a very, very large warehouse and a lot of distributors around China with lots of washing machines. Okay. So anyway, that's a, another example of working capital not being properly understood. Mm, yeah. I'm here having a conversation with uh, Yvonne Rankin-Constantine and with Peter Hone about the importance of getting paid on time. We're getting into all sorts of detail here. I hope you're, <laughs> hope you're enjoying it and you'll keep up with it. We might have to break it into a couple. But do get a copy of Let the Cash Flow. Yeah. Or if you have 
are concerned with getting paid on time, get on the Riabu website and write to us, and we'll talk to you. Yeah. So um, we've covered a lot of the elements of the virtuous revenue cycle. Let me suggest that we pick on one of the other ones. So we've talked about the importance of having leadership from the top, which understands the importance of working capital as part of a, an overall culture, a culture of service. A credit policy where you actually write things down and get them agreed by the customer. But then there's a whole raft of issues around ensuring that when you get issues, they are dealt with in a seamless way, cross-functionally. Mm-hmm. An example, you know, if there's a delivery issue, that's supply chain or distribution. If there's a pricing issue, that's the salesman or maybe the master file or maybe IT. You know, if there's some kind of finance issue, that's fine. So it could be five or six or seven or eight functions that need to be engaged in order to resolve invoice issues. Mm-hmm. How do we deal with that, Yvonne? I like to do, again, the end-to-end process of who needs to be involved and, right, and bring everybody together. Yeah. So I put together an AR process, end-to-end, and who's involved at what stage in the process, then get all the team to come in and walk them through the brilliant, process. Yeah, yeah. And, and for me, that's much more effective, especially having worked in some unique locations and where... English is not the first language. Scotland, for example. Or even in Scotland. (laughs) Um, And the reality is you don't give them a corporate manual this size. Mm, Give them a visual and you're going to get much better buy-in and understanding. Good. You could have written this book. So what we have in the book, (laughs) what we say is, so so some, some interesting factoids. So let's not forget the Pareto principle. We have a chapter on that in here called the 80-20 rule by some people. It's, it was an Italian economist called Alfredo Pareto who observed that 80% of the value or 80% of the, of the worth is with 20% of the activity. In the case of customers, 20% of your customers will owe you 80% of your receivables. So if you're worrying about how to implement an improvement program, look at the top 20% of your customers and start feeding them through the pipeline and learning how to engage with them and learning how to deal with issues in a prompt way. Don't try and do it to everybody all at once because the whole thing will explode and you'll just make a big mess. Same thing applies with the things that go wrong when you're invoicing. So if you listed the 20 things that can go wrong when you're in, say you missed the price, you got the wrong delivery address, the customer insisted on pink paper and you put your invoice on yellow paper. I mean, you'd be, I've seen just about everything over the years. And one of the things that you, I've noticed is that some companies have got very clever at putting you know, little footnotes about things that they require in order to get paid on time, in order to have opportunities to pay you late. If 20 things go wrong regularly, the Pareto principle applies. 20% of those 20 things will cause 80% of the late payments. What's that? That's four. Four things are going wrong in the way that you're dealing with your customers that are causing 80% of late payments. So what are those four things? Mm. Well, the answer is you can only establish that by actually routinely looking at what's going wrong, keeping a record of it, mm-hmm. getting down to root causes, and getting everyone together, as I think you were suggesting, to, mm-hmm. to resolve those. Yeah. If you can communicate at that level within your own company from the top to the bottom, to that degree, you can then take it outside your company. Mm-hmm. But if you can't do it in, in, in the house, you can't do it outside. You need to be able to communicate this you know, right through the chain of the company. Yes, and if, you're, if, you're only, if you own the account and you go to an account and the account yeah. says, I've got this problem, and it's not something that you as a salesman can deal with because it's a supply problem or a finance yeah. problem, mm-hmm. you have to have the confidence that when you go yeah. back and say, problem that it's going to be dealt with promptly and within a specified so one of the things we talk about in the book is we talk about Mm. having internal service levels agreement levels of level agreement so if you know what the top 20 issues are that regularly occur you need to be clear about who's got to resolve them in which function and how long they've got to resolve them in and 
we also have a escalation where if it's not resolved within that time, it goes on to a default report that you look at because it's, it's meaningless yeah. to have these kinds of things if they're not adhered to. So I think you were yeah. suggesting this understanding in that monthly Simon. meeting. If people are yep. consistently late in, in addressing customer issues, uh, it needs to be brought out. Otherwise, you can't build the culture, right? It's exactly that. You're building a culture. And unfortunately, my experience has been is when you're in crisis that... It hits, you know, the, it hits the leadership team, and yeah. the leadership team, you know, then the volcanoes start going off, right? And you make things worse. If and you're it not makes careful. it worse yeah. if you're not careful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it has to be a structured transformation program put in place. On it's always people, process systems. Mm-hmm. Put your transformation plan in place, communicate it effectively, and then get the buy-in of all the team yeah. internally. You know, it's to, the bridge to, between to departments as well. Understanding, yeah. you know, if, if I'm a technical, I'm sales. I need to understand. What's their role? What's the, what's the operations role and how, how can I help them yeah. in their role instead of just keeping them in this, this sectored role that I have, a sales or, or mm-hmm. technical? I need to bridge across and understand mm-hmm. uh, how, to, how to bridge across mm-hmm. to create that culture. So one of the things we talk about here is what we call root cause resolution. So what is that? That's about making a list of the things that go wrong, addressing those issues so you get paid, but also looking back into your company to figure out how do we stop that happening in the first place? Yes. And that is very much a cross-functional endeavor. It, but it requires that you have little teams going out there and saying, actually, do you know what? It's not a good idea if we sign contracts during karaoke sessions because, <laughs> the, because they end up being a big mess. No, I, I kid. But, you know, things routinely occur over and over and over again, and that's one of the most astonishing things. How do you get rid of them? Well, by having a, co- a culture of always looking at yeah. root causes. And again, 80-20 rule. 20% of the things you do wrong will cause 80% of the late payments. If you, if you reduce it to that simplified level, generally you can constantly eat away at the things that you're doing wrong. But in order for that to happen, you have to have the culture that we talked yeah. to earlier where people are prepared to say, yeah, you know, that didn't go very well. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. interesting test, you know, and I'm doing an exercise at the moment with a client. If you lose a customer, and we all lose customers from time to time, when you ask, first of all, companies aren't very keen on honestly asking why they've lost the customer, but if you do have a process of asking why you've lost the customer, most of the time you get told it was some external factor. It was competitive activity, it was the customer didn't. It's never, we almost never, we could have done this better or we omitted to do that Mm -hmm. or we failed Mm -hmm. to step up to this challenge. Mm -hmm. In my experience, there's a great reluctance. Failure is an orphan, would you say, in the case when you lose customers? Absolutely. And also remember when you're looking here on, as you said, say your root cause is you're basically your mass of data is wrong and you're sending out invoices to the wrong person or for whatever. Always remember when they're receiving it on the other side, they're wasting time yeah. having to deal with that, communicate back to you, you know, and play ping pong. So you're getting a very frustrated customer, yeah. right? That's a risk. Yeah, they so, get fed up with it. <laughs> yeah, so you've got to understand if you don't get it right at the front end, yeah. don't expect to have a happy customer. Yeah. On the other hand, if you do these things right, particularly in these days of turmoil when yeah. you've got supply chain disruption yeah. and customers are leaving, I think most customers in many industries have a higher propensity to change suppliers now than at any time probably in the last decade. Take the virtuous revenue cycle, make it live and breathe in your organization, and you'll find that you have an additional competitive tool, and a very, very important one, that will enable you to hang on to accounts, understand their issues, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. be proactive in addressing those issues, keeping the the opposition out of that account, but also, if you keep an eye on the market, 
finding opportunities to go out and get other accounts who aren't getting that level of service from your competitors. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. this is fascinating. I'm, I'm certainly going to want to come back and talk about this more because I love this topic. A final word, Yvonne Rankin-Constantine, give your final advice to, let's say, the CEO of a small and medium-sized enterprise who's struggling with receivables. What, what, what are the first things he should think about? I would say go and get the some... Book. Yeah, <laughs> think, uh, you've just taken the words out of my, out my mouth. I would actually say if... You don't have that skill set, right, in your repertoire. Go and find someone who does, right? And you can fix the problem much faster, yeah? And bring them into your organisation. Thank you, Yvonne. Uh, Dr Peter Hone. Thank you, Simon. My view is that, yeah, from the top down, it needs to be a total buy-in and a culture of, of understanding that cash flow is, is king mm -hmm. and that we can improve DSO and we can explain to all the people in the company what DSO is and how much benefit it will bring to the company. Thanks, Yvonne. Thanks, Peter. Thank so there we have it. A shared culture of understanding receivables and of having a culture of service which differentiates you from your competitors ensures not just that you get paid on time but also that you are competitively active, that you are resilient and that you can continue to grow in times of disorder. And heavens, we're certainly in times of disorder now. Thank you very much to both my guests. Keep an eye on the Riabu podcast. There'll be more and better. So stay, stay with us. Thank you. So kind. <laughs>